Hey, Anthony, it's that time again. To go to the Winchester, have a pint, and wait for this all to blow over? Yeah, yeah, w- wait, no. No, not at all. Then what? It's time to make the podcast. Oh, 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 yeah, that thing. Once again, we have reached that time of the week. Time to dive into the movies we love and the movies we wish we could forget. Pitting them against each other to receive praise uh, or hatred. Based on a scale of our choosing. So let's jump into it. This is the Double Feature Podcast. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Double Feature Versus, where we have uh, double the films, um, double the Bushmen. How's it going, Brett? It's going good, uh, especially since like last time we watched some terrible movies, and now we're yeah, watching this, some good this movies. Redeemed it. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. This definitely redeemed the um the juju. It's not even worth mentioning it. We'll we'll never mention that movie again. Um, <laughs> But this was a good, uh, um, this, this was a good half makeup for um, uh, the Velocity Pastor, which was a great movie too. But um, this episode, um, Brad's been trying to get me to watch Youth and Revolt with Michael Sarah, so we uh, we watched that, and uh, we also watched it with um, Taika with TD's, uh Hunt for the Wilder People. Yeah, which Youth and Revolt is one of my favorite uh, movies from like that time period i still love it today uh mm. but yeah it's <laughs> yeah 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 we can we can get into it um we can just start off with youth um yeah because that one yeah, came my... first i believe yeah um yeah man uh first time watch uh i thought this was pretty funny man i really oh, yeah. enjoyed i enjoyed this movie man this is about a uh um a teenager a shy teenager who is um who meets a girl well basically his let's let's back all the way up so um her mother's boyfriend um is a is a uh, a cheap bad salesman so um played by Zach he, Galifianakis Zach Galifianakis and um he's trying to outrun these sailors so um him uh, uh Michael Sarah his mom they go to this trailer park to try to like like kind of lay low for a minute and uh, Michael Sarah meets this woman, this young girl, um, played by Portia Doubleday. I know her from Mr. Robot. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, he's basically, you know, every every guy who was once a teenager can relate to this movie because basically the main objective is to lose his virginity. Yeah. Fall in love too, but lose his virginity. Yeah, the falling in love is kind of like a secondary, maybe even third on the list. <laughs> yeah, it's sec- the second on the list is to create an alter ego named Francois. Yeah. Um, who can bring um, you know, uh uh Nick's uh, you know, bad guy side out. Um yeah, falling in love isn't the top priority. He's just he just wants to get laid. It's kind of a circumstance of the entire like thing is falling in love. <laughs> Not right, so much right. a part of the list. But yeah, I I love this movie because first off it has a great cast to it. Because uh, you have Zach Galifianakis playing this like deadbeat guy that uh, literally the best part is every single person in this movie is completely selfish. Uh, the only person that isn't is their neighbor who even when they start off the movie, they're like, yeah, that's our neighbor. He likes to deliver us our mail from our mailbox. And you see him like walking off in their mailbox, like right there at the door. Right. And um, Fred Willard. Fred yeah, Willard. Yeah. 
Dude, his comedic timing is great in every film I see him in. Oh, yeah. He's one of those people that I never really see him as a main person, but his side and, like, minor roles in every movie are just amazing. Yeah, um, I gotta say, dude, Michael Sarah has great, like, deadpan comic comedic timing. Like, um... Mm-hmm. There was a moment where, uh, uh, I don't know, Zach Galifianakis came in and he realized that um, the sailors were after him. He he, he kind of spit something off in the distance. Michael Cera just looks at it and then just looks back at him just dead. And in the moment just like works. And it's just like, I feel like he, this was the right role for him. Yeah. Michael Sarah is great at deadpan comedy. It's why I am so glad he got to be in uh, Scott Pilgrim, which is directed by a British kind of uh, movie director. And you're right. Because his deadpan works perfectly for British movies. I'm surprised that he's not in more British comedies because he just has deadpan down. Uh, even when like the sailors come around and you know they're like, we want our $900 back. Well, he probably already spent it on his Lincoln. He really cares about that, you know. And uh, he's kind of a stubborn guy, so you might have to get rough with him, <laughs> you know. It, it just right. his delivery of like every line of just not caring at all is great. Because uh, for most actors, it it almost comes in as like a phoned in kind of performance. But you mm-hmm. can tell that he's doing deadpan on perfectly. Yeah, yeah. The the phone in part is on purpose, and it works for the role. You know, this mm-hmm. is really a kid that's like, um, kind of like a Malcolm in the Middle kind of role, where he realizes yeah. everything around him is kind of like screwed up and, um, you know, just turned upside down, and he's the only sane one. That's how everybody feels as a teenager, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this girl he meets, uh, uh, Portia Doubleday's character, you know, she's Sheenie. just so, she's yeah, Sheenie. She's just the ultimate hipster. It's like oh, yeah. I have a dog named Albert. Like, like they they get themselves a dog named Albert. She names it Albert. Albert after Albert Camus, K- yeah. um, the existential uh, author. And I'm like, you know. <laughs> Um, there's a, there's a scene where if you, if you're a film buff, you'll understand the joke, but, um, she, uh, she has a picture of the actor from this movie called Breathless and, um, Michael Sarah was like, um, yeah, that movie's good. I like Tokyo Story better. Says, that's a good movie. I don't, I don't think that's the same director though. Could be, could be <laughs> not. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a couple little jokes like that. Uh, especially when they're like reading the books and everything like that, that it's, kind of more like hipstery kind of like vibe to it. Right. And yeah, it's there there's so many great little moments like that. Uh then you have like uh Genie constantly like toying with him. Right, right. And as girls do. Yeah. As expected, but it's great. Uh, but the best part of the movie has to be when he creates that alter ego of uh, Francois. And right. you get to see this like parallel of him like switching between these two personalities and conflicting with them where he's like, well, no, we shouldn't do that, but we're going to do it. Yeah. Dude, I know what we should have watched with this. Me, myself, and Irene. Oh, that would have been, that a, been a good up. one. Because he has, you know, Jim Carrey has dual personalities in that film. Oh, that would have been the perfect matchup. Because that's because this film kept reminding me of something. I said, I've I've seen a movie like this before, and then me myself and Irene just came to me. We're gonna have to add that to the list. We'll watch that with something else. 
because that's a good one. But yeah, th- mm-hmm. this is I, I love the like counter of uh, him and Francois, and even when uh, what is the scene with uh, them sitting at breakfast when the police officers there? Yeah, it was nice of him to come over so early in the morning. Yeah, yeah. So what was all that noise last night? You know, I live here too. <laughs> and it was right. just Rayleigh so angsty such... teenager. <laughs> yeah, Ray Liotta was such a dick in this movie, dude. Oh, he played it perfectly. <laughs> yeah. He said, uh, he says, uh, I think this guy, when, uh, when it's revealed that he's the one that caused the accident, I think his height needs to. I think so, someone needs to spank his height or something. Basically, saying he needs a whooping. Yeah. And uh, he, he he you know he's whooping him, and Francois taking the beating. He says says you all done there, tough guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's whooping up. I'm like this movie is hilarious. Oh yeah, yeah. I love how it's just the Francois is literally everything he wants to be, but packed mm. so deeply into like the end of like being a terrible person. You know, it's great. I I absolutely love his performance in this as both uh, Nick and as Francois. I think it, they match up perfectly. Dude, uh, Rooney Mara. I didn't know she was in this movie. She plays. She plays uh, the the classmate of um. Uh, she plays Shinny's classmate. That's right. Yes. Yeah, she has a very minor role in the movie. She only appears in what one scene. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, more or less. Like when they're at the French school, yeah, yeah, more or less. Yeah, there, there's a lot of like little scenes. It, this actually has a nice story progression too. That's one thing that I like is everything's kind of connected as the story progresses. Uh, there's no like major leaps of faith on how they got to where they are. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the film the film kept me interested. It definitely kept me interested. Um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, overall, um, this is kind of of its time, 2009, and uh, I, I bet this was a pretty big hit back then. It's, it's a good movie. Um, what you feel? What, what did you feel about Justin Long's character? I didn't really know what to make of him too much. Oh, Bobby? Uh, no, his name was Paul. Paul. He was the brother. The yeah, brother. okay, yeah. I remember. Oh, the, that's the right, because brother. they first show it at like near the beginning of the movie, the family portrait, and just Justin Long's there. Right. right. He's just staring there, like blank faced. Yeah. Um, and then when they meet, he yeah, says, his, he says, his character's hey, I know you. a little weird. Uh, but I, I kind of like it because he adds a little bit of a weird tonal shift to some scenes. Uh, like the scene right. back at his dad's uh, trailer and everything like that. He kind of just adds a weird sense to it with uh, the neighbor being there. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, we got to talk about the scene before that with the neighbor coming to pick him up and everything. Because one thing is the neighbor like is huge into like saving refugees and stuff like that. Right, right, right. Like, he's him the and only, his friend, like, you know. Yeah, he's the only selfless person in the entire movie. So... Michael Sarah calls him and goes, yeah, I was trying to help this uh, poor immigrant kid and, you know, we got caught by customs and now we're trapped and we need help. And, you know, he's a good kid. I can tell. Will, will you come help us? And it, it's just so great how he comes in and where, where are your clothes? They took them. And, and what about you? Solidarity. <laughs> 
and then the next scene is them in the right, truck right. and he's naked as well i i would argue that um vj um his friend that goes him to the french school is pretty selfless too because he, he offered to help him uh you know with the with the french language and stuff uh he well i guess with that moment uh but he very selfishly helped him because he wanted to meet Shini's roommate <laughs> I did. I I thought. Uh, I thought she. Did, I thought he didn't even know who she was until they finally got there and said, "Oh shoot, his roommate. Her roommate is high." No, it was a part of uh, the letter that he was reading for him. Was yeah, oh, and I okay. have this roommate oh. that you know she's already slept with seventeen guys and she wants to make it fifty by the end of the year, and he immediately goes, "I must meet this woman." <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So even he is selfish. Um. Because, yeah, he helps Dude, by reading the letter, but after that, he becomes another one of the selfish people in the movie. The mythical Trent, dude, he was dude, he was such a tool, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, the way he just uh, comes in the room says, I came in, um, a woman that I knew from uh, uh, Shini's uh, French school, she was so, uh, she, she didn't like me, and I wanted to know why she had this type of behavior. Then I found this letter. And then the mother's just drunk, like hitting the piano keys by accident (laughs) as more things are being revealed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he comes off as a major douche and everybody's like, oh, he's so nice. He's great. And it's like the one time somebody doesn't like fawn over him, he like invades their personal kind of uh, room and everything like that to find out why they don't like him. You know, like he has that much of an ego about him that he can't stand the thought of somebody not liking him. And yeah, I absolutely love how that even plays out and everything. Where even uh, it, Michael Sarah's character goes too far with trying to get Chini out of school and everything and back to the trailer park so they can, you know, have sex with each other. Because that's his entire mm-hmm. goal. And I, I love how he even takes it too far doing exactly what she wanted him to do. Right. But yeah, it. I, I love this movie. It's got so many great scenes. Uh, oh, the car reappearing in their living room, completely reassembled. How did they do this? Oh, they must have reassembled it. <laughs> Looks like they reassembled was... it piece by piece. <laughs> that would take an army or a navy. <laughs> oh, and then he just dies of a heart attack at a bar. <laughs> Like, the most, like, inconclusive death of him. Because the entire time you're kind of hoping, I hope the sailors come back and they, you know, meet him and everything. And no, he just dies of a heart attack at a bar. Right, right. Um, yeah, overall, man. Um... This one's a four so out of five of for me. Yeah, yeah, I give it a four. But what do you think? What do you think the theme of this movie is? Because I think it kind of hits on it towards the end when Steve Buscemi's kind of like fighting him and says, "Dude, you got to face the music. You know, you can't can't run." And I, um, I don't understand why why Fred Willis' character throws him the keys. Like I, I, I really don't understand that scene. Like, uh, like, uh, like I, I, I guess it is it, it like was it his car? Or was it his dad's car? It was his dad's car, uh, but my understanding of it is he's the kind of person that helps the underdog. So he sees somebody in trouble, he wants to help them, and he doesn't like the law, and 
you know, Fair enough. by definition of him always helping like the refugees and everything like that, he's not one to like the law and stuff like that. So it's a part of his personality to go, oh, the law is after Nick. I've got to help him. How can I help him? Oh, here are the keys. You know, so that's what I saw it as. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that scene is the only reason that they kept him in the trailer park for as long as they did, just so he could be the person to pass the keys off to Nick. So. Yeah. Um. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I give it a four out of eight. Yeah, I give it a four out of five. It was an entertaining movie. It was very entertaining. I liked it. Oh, yeah. It's one that got, like, critically panned when it came out, too. I remember that. Like, everybody was saying that this was, like, the worst Michael Sarah movie, and, you know, everybody was saying that, uh, you know, his career was dead after this, and this was, like, right before uh, he did Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. So everybody was saying that this was the end of... Michael Sarah because this movie just bombed in theaters. I loved it though. I can imagine how you know, kind of like the next film we're going to discuss. This film isn't probably for it's it, it's probably not for everybody. You know, um, you you gotta like like a certain type of humor to like this film. Yeah, I can't imagine. I can imagine a lot of my uh, few friends of mine watching this and going, "Man, that had some funny moments." That was kind of weird though. You gotta have like a like a offbeat sense of humor to appreciate this movie. Yeah, th- there's a lot of deadpan beats. There's a lot of like anti-humor in it as well. And just mm-hmm. a lot of it is just the personalities of some of the characters are hilarious. If you can't enjoy the c- characters and you expect them to say like a funny one-liner, you- you're not going to enjoy this because it's the characters that make this movie. Right. Yeah, four out of five. Um, Want to move on to our next one here? Yes. Hunt for the Wilder People. Yeah, yeah. So we got this by, uh, you know, written and directed by, um, you know, cinematic oddball uh, Taika Waititi. Um, A little thing I got to say when we get into this film here, like the thing with Taika, um, like his humor is kind of hit or miss with me. Like the last film we watched that you heavily endorsed, um, What We Do in the Shadows was pretty great. Mm -hmm. I, I very much enjoyed that movie. Um, this movie, I, I liked, I liked this movie overall. I liked it. Um, but I feel like Taika, like his humor, s- sometimes it misses. Um, sometimes it hits, but when it hits, it really does hit. Like it really is hilarious. Um, and I feel like this film is like a good, like, like juggling act of that. Um, yeah, it's, it's a yeah. good mix. Um, it does have some great moments and then it has some other moments that you're like, yeah, you, you can tell that Taika was kind of he forgot to write this scene and they were kind of just ad-libbing the entire time. <laughs> right. So basically we got a, um, we have a young man, um, who is, uh, who's, who's a, a foster boy. He's gone from foster home to foster home, kind of a troublemaker. Um, he, uh, ends up at this, um, this farm with this, um, this nice lady and, um, her husband, who's a little cantac, can, I think that's the, how you say that word. Um, Sam Neill plays him. Um, but basically, uh, you know, it, it just shows his relationship with the older man, you know, as you know, obviously tragedy hits and he's stuck with the older man and he doesn't want to go back to another foster home or go to juvenile detention. Yeah. So, this was the last foster home. So after this, it was just juvie. Uh, there was no other option yeah. for him. 
So he decides to go out into the wilderness and, um, you know, they uh, find themselves on the lamb from the law. Um, yeah, man, I really feel like this film, like like um, what hooked me in is it's, uh, you know, again, with uh, Youth and Revolt, it's, it's an offbeat sense of humor, which I guess does make this a nice little uh, double feature. Um, you know, when uh, when the older lady, uh, when the basically the the, the auntie. Uh, when she first meets her uh, foster uh, nephew or foster son, so to speak, she says, uh, oh, man, you must be the guy at the party that ate all the uh, pies. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Instantly insulting him. And like, but you show you see you get a sense from that one line that she's like a, she's a she's a wholesome, funny character. Mm-hmm. Uh, even like after that, uh, hey, you hungry? Well, look at you. Of course you are. <laughs> right. And then, uh, yeah, she was just such a, you know, it, it makes her, uh, dis- it makes her, um, absence for the rest of the film that much more felt from a storytelling standpoint because of how warm she is. Right. She like, is even, even, very much yeah. like the nicest person in the movie. And it, with unless her gone, she's, yeah. Yeah. Um, un- unless you're, uh, what, what were they hunting? Pigs or boars? Uh, like, I think it was boars. Yeah. Like the even the one scene where she like viciously kills the boards, like uh like uh just with a with a bloody face comes up like hey you're uh, you hungry and he just faints like, <laughs> like what the fuck? <laughs> but that's just uh that's that seems like that's a Taika Watiti moment yeah that was a hundred percent a Taika mo- even the editing for that with the boar and like everything like that was a Taika Watiti. Like, you could cut that one scene, put no context to it, and then ask somebody, who directed this? And they'd be like, that, that's a Taika. <laughs> possibly so, possibly so. Um, but yeah, man, you know, she's a sweet woman, and when she dies, you know, she he he's stuck with Sam Neill. And the best thing about these two characters is that they're basically one and the same. Mm-hmm. You know, they and um, the great thing about this um, this lady who was the aunt is that she would she would actually like like uh take in people who were rejected by society almost you know like Sam Neill's character can't read you know he's an old man he can't read but he loves the wilderness and he loved his wife because she accepted him for who he was and you know understood him you know the young boy he he loved her you know because she accepted him for who he was you know um so that that's their connection even though they're so repelled to each they're so like repellent to each other they're they're connected at the same time yeah like even her acceptance of him is like on another level because the first night he's there he tries to run away and uh you know he ends up taking a break and she catches up to him and goes running away didn't make it too far though so uh we got right. breakfast cooking right now. If you want to come back, have some breakfast, you know, and then uh, try running away again. Yeah. You know. Right. And when he's going, right. When he's going to sleep, she's like, you still going to run away? Um, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I don't, I don't have made my mind up yet. Yeah. Like, you know, she was just a sweet lady. Well, and, be um, uh, back for breakfast, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so uh yeah as the film progresses you know these two are on the lamb you know they think he's they think Sam Neill's character is crazy cuz they think he he has kidnapped him even though that's not the case mm-hmm. um so it it leads to them you know like hunting and going in the wild and um I got to say the, here here's the key central moment where the the humor is hit or miss is both hit and is both miss where they end up at like this little waypoint and um these three little punks come in 
and say like, oh, hey, the hunters. Yeah, you've been. Yeah, like, hey, we hear you've been molesting this kid. He says, no, I didn't. He ran away. I, 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 and I catch them. And the kid is like, uh, he's like, <laughs> the way he's describing the story makes it seem like he, he's been molesting him, but he's not. He says like, he's been having me do things on my own, all on my own. Sometimes he does it with me, but most time he just has me play with myself. Yeah. <laughs> and he says like, what are you saying? Stop. Yeah, um, he broke his leg, so he made me do things for him. And I didn't like it at first. Sometimes it was hard, but sometimes it wasn't. And, but, you know, eventually he let me do some things with myself. And that was cool, but he just never wanted to play with me, you know? <laughs> and it's just, you, right. the subcontext of it is great. But at the same time, uh, he's just talking about, like, being forced to hunt. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think past that scene... I mean, I think past that part, the whole scene kind of drags on a little more. And I think that's one of those scenes where they probably were ad libbing. And it's like the humor kind of drags on. It's like, okay, let's let's get to the point. Like let's let's either they're gonna run or they're gonna stay or what's gonna happen. And um like 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 okay, earlier on at the funeral, the the scene with, with, with Taika himself, you know, where he's like, you know, when you die, you know, you go through a door. You know what's through that door? Jesus. No, 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 Jesus not through that door. I've been through that door. You go through that door and you hit another door. You know it's through that door? Jesus? Jesus is through that door. You know, like that that's a scene where the humor perfectly hits. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I love that he played the priest in that <laughs> scene and everything. To basically an empty church. Right. Cause it was Sam Neil, him and there were two people in the back that probably were just there because it was church. Right, right. Um, yeah, so, I mean, moving along, um, I don't know how I felt about, I mean, she was funny, but I don't know how I felt about the child welfare worker, like Paula, I think her name was Paula Hall, not the actor, but um, the character. Yeah, she came off as a little too, like, overbearing, I think, in her scenes, uh, yeah. where, like, I get where they were going with her character, but it, they like tried to make her a hateable character and they just kept pounding and pounding it to the point that it, she no longer became hateable. She just became annoying. Yeah. Like, every yeah, time I she came say. on screen, it wasn't like, Oh, here's a good villain. Here's another scene with this person. That's kind of getting on my nerves now. Yeah, yeah, she was a little over the top. I don't. I feel like the hunters could have replaced her. Yes. the hunters were like, like they were satisfying villains. Like we didn't really need her. Yeah, especially when they kept running into them. I, I, I absolutely love how they just run into them again, and it's like, hey, you know, there they are. Yeah. Oh, it's you guys again. <laughs> right. I feel like um, I like the young lead in the film, Julian Dennison. I feel like he's a he's a he's a pretty funny kid. You know, um, his, uh, you know, I feel like he he's a great foil to Sam Neill's character. And Sam Neill is pretty great in this, too. Sam Neill makes this movie in some of the scenes. Uh, he is just absolutely perfect. And because even like in the beginning when they're first like introduced and everything like that his character is introduced by walking up a hill carrying a dead boar on his back you know right. oh it looks like he got dinner <laughs> uh hey what what do we do now uncle don't call me uncle 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not your uncle or something like that. But, uh, yeah, he absolutely hates this kid. Uh, even when, you know, uh, in the early part of the movie, she's like, hey, go uh, help out uncle and everything. Yeah, auntie said to come help you, so, you know, what do you want me to do? Leave me alone. Yeah, right, right, okay. <laughs> I get the sense that he does like him, though. Like, I mean, obviously you know that by the end, but I think yeah. even when he feels like he hates him, you can tell deep down inside he kind of likes him because they're he, one He has a little bit of a care for him. He might not like right. him, but he does care for him. Right. Um. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I, I don't... I didn't really feel much for that little section of the film where, you know, he goes off to get help for the one guy who I guess they found and he has diabetes and they're trying to get help. Oh, the park ranger. Finds, yeah. Yeah. He, he finds the cute girl with her with her brother and he hangs out with them. I feel like that whole interlude just wasn't needed. Yeah, it was inconsequential. Uh, the only time yeah. that there's a callback to that is when uh, da, 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 they're at the court scene at the end. And that's it. And that scene is also just a small callback to when he was talking with uh, Auntie about the horses. You know, mm-hmm. uh, nobody can ride them. They're too wild. And then you see her riding a horse like it's nothing. So it, it's very inconsequential as a scene because it really doesn't do much for the story. It just gives uh, reason for him to be separated from sam neill's character for a bit before you know using the knowledge that he gained from his character to refine him you know that's all that that scene really did uh mm-hmm. it, beyond that it it really doesn't have any purpose in the movie it doesn't it really doesn't um but again you know it's it this is kind of a hit or miss movie overall um i mean overall i give it Strong three, light 3.5. Yeah, I, I got to say this one's a 3.5 for me. It's mm-hmm. it, it's good. It has a lot of good scenes. It has a lot of great Taika ITD directing and everything like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Like you have Psycho Sam. I absolutely love Psycho Sam because he just encapsulated the Taika YTD humor to a T. See, and, and that's a scene where the delivery is key. Yes. Because anyone else who said that line, it, it probably wouldn't have worked. But the way he says, look, I'm, I'm Bushman. Look, I got Bush on me. I'm Bushman. The way he says <laughs> is that he a is Bush? hilarious. Is he a man? Bush? Man. Bush? Man. Right. right. That's where That's where when the humor hit, it just hit. You know? Yeah. You guys hear about Psycho Sam? Uh, No. No, I've never heard of that. Oh, well, uh, well, my name's Sam. So <laughs> I, I that is like one of the scenes that made the movie for me. Uh because it's the scenes with the Taika humor that are just perfect. Uh but then you have scenes that just seem inconsequential. You have a lot of scenes that just kind of drag on for a little bit too long. Uh you know. But overall, it, it's definitely a 3.5 for me. This this is a good movie. It's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. It probably would have settled for one more you know go through on the editing process but overall it's still good yeah um so i guess down to it at the end of the day uh youth wins 
Yeah, Youth and Revolt, it, it's still one of my favorite movies. I still absolutely love it. Uh, it it's one of those movies I always try and uh, press on people when they go like, Michael Sarah isn't that good of an actor. I'm not a Michael Sarah fan. It's like, you need to watch Youth and Revolt because uh, that'll be the deciding yeah. factor on if you like Michael Sarah or not. Yeah, I feel like he gets a bad hand because of Superbad. And even though Superbad is a great movie, you know, Superbad kind of more so belongs to like it toggles between Jonah Hill and um, my man that played McLovin as like the main yeah. like stars of that movie. And Michael Sarah is kind of like the straight man the whole time, um, which works for actors like Jason Bateman. You know what I mean? But um, I feel like Superman, Superbad kind of gave him a bad hand as people think that's all he can do. I mean, obviously, you know, you look at something like Molly's Game or you look at, uh, you know, of course, Scott Pilgrim. Of course, that's not all he can do. But I feel like he kind of needed to get out of that for a minute Well, the, and not become a. Yeah. Yeah. The bigger problem is he ended up going from Arrested Development to Superbad, which is basically mm. the same character. So he got kind of like that pinhole of, oh, this is right. all Michael Sarah can do. I call that the Jesse Eisenberg um, uh, problem. Because Jesse Eisenberg, we always know him playing the neurotic characters. Obviously, he's kind of he's been kind of trying to break out of that. I know he did an independent movie recently that people liked. Um, but you know, we always know Jesse Eisenberg for you know neuroticism. You know, Zombie Land, Adventure Land, even Social Network. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Which he he it's a great performance because you know Mark Zuckerberg was a little you know odd, but still it was still kind of the same Jesse Eisenberg kind of role. Yeah, uh, even when he was cast as uh, Lex Luthor in Batman v Superman, he, he played more of a neurotic person than actually Lex Luthor, you know? See, I, I didn't mind him as Lex. I felt like he was, like you said, a neurotic Lex, but I, I didn't, I didn't like have a problem with that. It, see, his performance in the movie, fine. Uh, my problem is it just wasn't, it didn't feel like Lex Luthor. At all. He felt mm. more like he was trying to be the Joker. And it, it didn't feel Lex Luthor at all. Like, some of the scenes that he's in, like, his actions feel like Lex Luthor. But he himself does not feel like Lex Luthor. You know? Like, doing the whole investigating every single, you know, possible hero or metahuman that's out there. Uh, learning about them and everything. That's very Lex Luthor. But then you have scenes mm. where he like has the Jolly Rancher and he like sticks it in the one girl's mouth and everything. It's just like this isn't Lex Luthor. That's that's more of a Joker thing to do, you know, to create unease with people. I I'm gonna be honest with you, man. The best Lex Luthor. Um, it might not have been the best movie, but the best Lex Luthor was Kevin Spacey. Like he, he was a great Lex Luthor. He was a really good Lex Luthor, uh, which is a shame because you can't talk about Kevin Spacey anymore. <laughs> Right, right, right. He was a great um, actor. I, I miss him in movies, but man, is it sad that he ended up being that kind of person. Yeah, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Um, I, 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 I would almost go to say, and you know, rest in peace to Christopher Plummer, you know, great actor. Uh, I kind of wanted to see Kevin Spacey's uh, version of All the Money in the World. You know, I didn't. we didn't really get to see him as that Getty character in that movie. I kind of... I at least want to see it beyond the trailer. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. You know, really, Scott said, no, nah, no, nah, take him out. So, yeah, that cut of the movie is just gone. Uh, that is something that will never see the light of day. 
I just thought it would have been interesting to see him play an older, you know, kind of vicious, uh, rich character like that. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's one actor that has some pretty decent range and everything, and it's it's a shame that, you know, he's one of the people that uh, ended up doing something far worse than uh, cancel culture normally gets people for. So he he's done. His career is gone, especially now that he's doing these weird videos like every Christmas. Yeah, like every Christmas he comes out with a video as Frank as Francis Underwood from House of Cards. And I'm like, what what's your angle here, man? I mean, if, if, if you if you never got, you know, um, if, if you were never canceled, then people wouldn't make a big deal off it. They'd be like, oh, we, we love Francis Underwood. Mm-hmm. But but the fact that you got canceled and you're playing this vicious character that's trying to come off as wholesome. It's kind of like it's kind of more than problematic. That's just a problem. Yeah, you can tell that Kevin Spacey has lost all his friends because even if he had one friend, they would tell him this is a terrible idea and don't do this. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, man. like the dude, like um, you know, I don't, I don't want to make this into a Kevin Spacey tribute, but um, it's like I know this film gets a lot of bad flack. I don't think American Beauty is that bad of a movie. Um, yeah, maybe for its time it was great, but nowadays some of it does look corny, like the back flying in the wind scene. Like, there's no way you can't make fun of that scene. Right. But I feel I feel like he he kind of made American Beauty though. Like Kevin Spacey made that movie. He made Everyone a lot of movies it, like, great. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because House of Cards wouldn't have been the same without him. So I can understand why they canceled it after he kind of left. Because it's hard well, no, to make it ran, something like that. It ran for one last season with Robin Wright's character. And, you know, she's a great actor, too. Um, I, Dude, I got to admit, man, I stopped House of Cards after season two because of how boring it became. But, um, you know, I think he left around season five. Um, yeah. Se- season one of House of Cards was great. I think season two, I'm going to go off on a rant here. It just got, it just got boring. Like, 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 did you watch the whole thing? I did. Um, I never watched the final season because uh, it, it kind of lost marketing at that point because Kevin Spacey was gone and everything. And then it just mm-hmm. nothing against like, oh, it, I'm going to protest this show now or anything like that. It just kind of lost my mm-hmm. interest uh, in the time frame between uh, the last season and the season before. Mm-hmm. I got you. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a shame. But, uh, yeah, Ricky, Ricky was a great Lux, and I think Michael Sarah, um, bringing it all back. If you want to, again, if you do doubt him as an actor, just watch his scene from, uh, season three of T- Twin Peaks, where he comes in as a, um, as a son to these two, um, you know, well-known characters on the show, and his whole delivery, the whole scene is just very deadpan, and it's hilarious, like, Michael Sarah's a pretty he's he's solid, man. He's solid. Oh yeah. He he's an actor that I want to see in more stuff, and sadly he kind of only appears in small bursts at this point. Uh he more has a focus, I think, on his music career right now. I didn't even know he made music. Yeah. Um Yeah, he does kind of like solo music work and everything like that. Uh a lot of people don't know that. It's kind of like one of those like behind the scenes things of like, what's Michael Sarah doing? Oh, he's just making music now. Yeah, okay, that sounds about right for him. 
I, I honestly did not know that. Is the music good? You vouch for it? Um, I haven't really listened to it, so I can't really say for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've listened to like a little bit before in the past, and it wasn't enough to make me go, yeah, let me subscribe to him on Spotify. Uh, he, right, he's definitely right, a better right. actor it, it, from what I've heard. He could be better now for all I know, but uh, he's really good at guitar. I will say that. You know, that's kind of what I hear about Jared Leto. Like, they say, like, he's kind of, like, a, a better actor than he is a, a musician. Like, I never heard 30 Seconds to Mars. Um, some people like him, some don't. Like, what do you, you listen to them? I like 30 Seconds to Mars. Um, I don't really go seeking them out, but at the same time, when they show up in a random playlist and stuff like that, I'm not, like, skipping the song. I got you. I got you. Uh, yep. All right. Well, uh, we got those two together. You seen any new movies lately, man? Uh, for anything? this last couple, actually, I watched uh, Devs from uh, your recommendation. Did, uh, what did I tell you? It, that one was really good. I absolutely enjoyed that one. Uh, Nick awesome. Offerman, at first, I was kind of thinking he was a little bit miscast for that role from the first like two episodes in the beginning yeah in the beginning yeah uh it definitely felt like that was a miscast like he wasn't bad but it just didn't feel right and then as it progressed and everything like i think episode three is when i went okay no he's he's good for this role this is he's playing the role absolutely how it needs to be played it's not that he's not right for the role it just doesn't feel right in the beginning so i feel like that would have had the same sense with any actor if you ever run into somebody that says, like, I mean, TV is okay, but it could never replace cinema or could never be on the same level as cinema, show them that miniseries, dude. Oh, yeah. Because well, that show... There's a lot of little direct- miniseries that are great. I know, but you... No, I, I trust me, I know. But, you know, you always got somebody that says, I mean, TV is good and all, but, you know, Sopranos or Breaking Bad are over. I'm like, dude, it's it's way more than that now. Like, I, I'm like, when you watch a series like that, like that could have really been a film in theaters. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, uh, I would have find it hard for them to cut it down to two and a half hours to make it a film for theaters, unless they did like a part well, I mean, one, in part terms two. Of like, but of course, I'm I'm talking about in terms of content. You know, oh I'm yeah, talking about in terms of storytelling and. Dude, man, that show is great to me, man. Like, I I I really enjoyed that, man. Um, from the writing, directing. Um, that security guard was ruthless, man. Oh yeah, yeah. I love it. every character in this. It's very short, so it has a very small cast, and every mm. character has their moment to shine at one point or another. And I love that. And even with it, uh, as it progresses, and you learn more about what's going on and everything like that, it's one of those mysteries that, like, as you get closer to finding out, it gets even more interesting to see yeah, it where things all are going. Your, the thing about that series is that it answers all your questions. Like, like um, when you're watching it, um, you're like, okay, I want to know what this does. And they're kind of saying what it does. But, um, but what, you know, what does this devs thing, what does it do? And, you know, as the, as the film progresses, I mean, as the series progresses, you get more and more answers and it just keeps showing you the larger picture and how this woman, um, who's the, um, the main character to show how she relates to everything. Um, I even love the little joke in the end where the V turns to a U. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I just, dude, 
just the whole theme of like free will versus determinism. Like I, I felt like that was a great miniseries, dude. Alex Garland did a great job. Oh, absolutely. Uh, even like the little mini relationships between characters that we get in it, uh, th- the relationship between the old man and the little kid that are a part of devs, uh, they're one of my favorite kind of oh, like yeah. duos. Yeah. I, yeah. I love their relationship, man. And, um, I think even the, um, the scene where, um, where they're on the, um, I think it's in the final episode where the scene where they're on the ledge and she's talking with Allison Peel. Oh and, yeah. Like, and you know, she says like, you know, you're gonna climb over this ledge, and um, and you, and you're, uh, I, and you're gonna climb over this ledge, and uh, right after you try to convince me to uh, to get your job back, she says, why would I climb over the ledge? She says, I've seen this, I've seen this moment a million times. You're going to do it, and like the whole film, I mean, the whole series kind of grapples with free will and like destiny and having your destiny already laid out. Um, yeah, man, yeah, great, great series, dude. This is what. This is what TV should be. I feel like if TV has a bar, this is the bar. Absolutely. And this was an FX uh, show originally. FX. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which Dude, I, I have no idea how it passed my radar. I never even heard about it before you mentioned it to me. It was advertised. Um, it wasn't advertised heavily, but it was advertised. Um, I think it was an FX on Hulu program where FX would put like, like, exclusive um shows on hulu um i think it was one of those but um dude i tell people man if you if you lived in a world where um you had cable but you didn't have the premium channels or if you lived in a world where you had to take one non if you had you had to take one channel and get a subscription service to it it'll be fx for me man they just have some of the best shows Especially if that counts uh, FXX as well, because then you have Always Sunny, you have uh, a lot of like the other shows as Archer. well. Archer is on I there. I still haven't watched Archer. Not even People like season one or anything? or. I've always known about it, but I never watched it. I, I'll get into it. I, I'm sure it's a funny show. Oh, it's it, if you love deadpan humor, you'll love Archer. It's It's very up there. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, but I'm so glad you watched Devs. I knew you, I knew that's your type of show. I said, Brad would love this. Yeah, it, it definitely was a great show. I ended up starting, uh, episode one, like late in to a night. And, uh, I was like, okay, it's 11 PM now. I'm not going to watch the second episode yet. Cause I know that's just going to make it. So I'm waking up at, you know, or at six in the morning when I had to start work, I'm going to just be like, Oh, well, <laughs> I guess I'm not sleeping tonight. So, yeah, I ended up binging it through the next day after I got out of work. Yeah, man. It's like um, another thing I love about the show is that like almost every um, code open to each episode kind of preluded what was going to happen in the episode. Oh, yeah. Pay attention. Yeah. With some episodes, it was like that. But um, yeah, great show, man. Um, What else did you see? Uh, that was it for what I basically like set down and watched outside of the two movies. Uh, but yeah, that, that was definitely worth watching. How about you? Um, I saw Karate Kid for the first time last night. The, the eighties the one. Really? Yeah, I, yeah, man, dude, that's one of those classic movies along with the Princess Bride that I just, 
I, I know quotes from, but I never watched it. Oh, that's um, right. So we got to add Princess my... Bride to the list. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get into it, man. I'm going to watch it. Um, you know, um, I, I had always known the wax on, wax off thing. And um, I kind of saw the the spiritual remake of Karate Kid, which was never back down. Straight up great movie, by the way. Um, I never saw the Jackie Chan one. I didn't want to. Uh, oh, the one with uh, Jaden Smith? Jaden Smith. Yeah, I didn't want to, man. I didn't <laughs> want to watch that. Um, I, I'm sure if you love the original, you probably would like the movie, but I wanted to see the original first. Um, so, yeah, I saw it for the first time last night. Um, classic 80s movie. I liked it, man. I, I, I liked it. I, I could tell I could tell why that's a classic. So now what you got to do is you got to watch Cobra Kai, which I want to say it's all on Netflix now. It is, and that is on my list. Um I kind of feel, shouldn't I watch part two and part three first before I hop into that show? Not necessarily. Um, not, not necessarily. I want to say, yeah, part two and three I don't think are really referenced at all. It's only the first okay. movie. Okay, fair enough. Um, I, I know I started part two last night, um, but I didn't really finish it. But uh, yeah, good, good movie, man. Um, one thing I wanted to say. Uh, that I had watched. Um, you know, I'm not really. I like science fiction. I mean, you can tell because I, you know, I recommended Devs to you. But um, I, I never really been into the whole Star Trek, uh, the show, you know, or Next Generation or anything like that. Like I've always liked Star Wars. Um, and I like the the recent J.J. Abrams Star Wars movies. Um, I mean Star Trek movies. Um. But I never really like watched the science fiction show that has to deal with space before. Right. But um, dude, Battlestar Galactica. I just I I hopped into that man, and I didn't I didn't you know I wanted to give it a chance because I had always said one day I would watch it. I watched the miniseries, then got into the show. Dude, that's a good show. See, Battlestar Galactica is one that I never really watched. Uh, I've done Star Trek, Next Generation, you know, uh, but. I never tried to watch Battlestar Galactica. See, here's the thing that won me over: Battlestar Galactica. Um, where, whereas you got a star, whereas you got a Stargate SG One, another show I never really watched, which I hear that that show is kind of like in on its own joke. You know, Stargate, like mm-hmm. like sometimes it's a show that's kind of in on its own joke of being in space and all this other stuff. Battlestar Galactica kind of handles its themes, and it handles it with you know sincerity, like. Um, when you watch the miniseries, which is basically a pilot for the show, shit gets real. Like, like you, you can tell, like Ronald D. Moore, who created it, um, like he he treats everything in the in the show serious. You know, with the um, with the robots and the humans and the humans trying to like fight this war against robots. Like, like shit gets real in the um, in, in the um, pilot for Battlestar Galactica. And now I'm on season three and. Yeah, it's a solid show, man. I didn't think I would. I didn't think I would like it. I thought I was like, is, is this gonna be too nerdy for me? But um, it's a good show, man. I uh, I would recommend it to you. But I would recommend you watch the miniseries first before you step into the show. Yeah, it's one that I've heard a lot about and everything like that. And I know a lot of people recommend it. It's just one that it's such a long series. So every time I Four look seasons. at it, yeah. Uh, but isn't it like 20 episodes per season or something? So so the first season is only 13. 
um season two through four i believe are 20 episodes but um i mean when you're in it you're in it man right like and i i was a little intimidated by that too but like when when you're when you're in it you're in it and um it's kind of hard to turn away um yeah i'm gonna have to start it soon at some point yeah, I wouldn't be intimidated by the episode length. I, I I would say I would say it's worth it. Okay. Um, yeah, man. Um, solid show. I I enjoy it. Um, because I never really been a sci-fi channel type of guy. There's only a handful of stuff I like from sci-fi. There's the the Steven Steven Spielberg produced miniseries Taken, mm-hmm. and I never really got into Eureka that much. Um. I try. I started it, but I didn't really. I didn't really like it like that. Uh, but yeah, I never really got into sci-fi that much. Uh, so this one, it it it, uh, it blew me away. Um, but what I would say is, uh, oh, learn some news. It looks like our worlds are colliding. Um, your favorite director is making a film adaptation of uh, uh, one of my favorite authors' short stories. Oh yeah, Edgar Wright and uh, Stephen King. Yeah, uh, he's adapting The Running Man. Should yeah, be good. Uh, I I saw that news. I didn't really read too much into it yet. Uh, but I basically somebody uh, texted me the headline, and I haven't read the article about what it is and everything. But uh, it, the headline just went, uh, you know, Edgar Wright is teaming up with Stephen King to make Running Man movie. And I just went, yep, I'll see it. There, you, you already sold me. <laughs> I don't even need a trailer. I don't right. need any other information. You already sold me on this. <laughs> Where can I pre-order my ticket today? I don't care if it comes out in three years. I want my ticket now. <laughs> so so what? what is it? Uh, I mean, you kind of touched on it before, but like. So is is it uh so so what is it about about Edgar Wright that so sells you on him? Is it the rapid is it the rapid fast editing? Is it like the the fast pace of his plots? Uh, what 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 sells you about Edgar Wright? A lot of it is the comedy and the editing. So I I love how his editing technique is always just very rapid, fast paced. There's no wasted time. He doesn't show like no frills. Yeah, there's no frills on it. He is a by the beat director, which is great and at sometimes bad because he has every single scene laid out, planned out. There's no ad libs in his movies at all. It's just exactly how he has it written. He only goes and films the scenes that he has uh, scheduled for that day. You know, he he's very by the books, my own creation, which is amazing because it, it leads to everything flowing perfectly. There's no dead space. There's no wasted scenery. Uh, there's no line that just comes out of nowhere. Everything is so planned out and perfect that it, it's like having a uh, photograph of what you want to paint and just doing it exactly like that is going to come out beautifully. And it, the comedy always hits its mark. The callbacks are always hit on point. Uh, like Shaun of the Dead is one of the greatest zombie movies to me because it does that perfect illusion of... When are we going to see the zombies? We know it's a zombie movie. And like when he's flicking through the channels and it's like doing the whole like news thing. And then he gets to. 
I, I love the moment where uh, Simon Pegg uh, runs into Bill Nye, and Bill Nye just turns around all zombie-like, and then he straightens up and then just starts talking. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So, I love, yeah, love this. so he toys with the idea of like, here's your expectation, you know, you don't know when it's going to start up, but you know, it's coming. And then he plays with that idea with constantly making you go, you know, oh, is this when he finally finds out? Like, as the viewer, we know that there's a zombie apocalypse coming, but the characters in the sh- movie do not. And let me ask you. Go ahead. Go ahead. But basically that it's just we always have that perception that the characters don't and he toys with that constantly. Uh, He does it with Hot Fuzz. He does it with the world's end. Uh, He even does it with Scott Pilgrim. You know, I I just love it. You ever um, you ever check out his series, uh, his early series that he had with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost spaced? Yes. Uh, Really good. Uh, If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Okay. Yeah, I've always wanted to check it out. Um, dude, in my mind, I don't know if it's true, but in my mind, I can picture that him and Wes Anderson are best friends because they they have the same kind of cinematic technique where in Wes Anderson's films, everything is, you know, by the book to the minute detailed. And you could tell like his his cinematography through all his films are like very, 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 you know, planned out. Um, I love Wes Anderson, dude. Uh, I know he he's one talked about Wes Anderson a couple times uh, in like commentaries and stuff like that and in interviews. So I, I had to believe the two know each other in some yeah, regard. Uh, but yeah, yeah he's, uh, Edgar Wright is just, I, I love him as a director. He's He's got comedy on point. He's got directing on point. His cinematography is basically in a level of its own compared to most movies. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like Baby Driver. Um, you know, I, I, I like Baby Driver. One of the things that, uh, you know, attracted me to that movie is that how it, it kind of had its own rhythm of editing with the mm. with the sound, with literally the sound of the beat, you know, of whatever music was playing. It, it, it had like it had a rhythmic editing to it. Yeah. Yeah. He actually picked the songs that he wanted in that movie before he wrote a single word of the script. So basically the entire movie was written around the song track or the soundtrack that he wanted for it, which makes every scene where there's a song fit absolutely perfectly beat for beat. And you don't get many, you know, movies with that or even shows or anything. The closest show that can manage to do something like that, I think is Umbrella Academy. So I haven't checked that one out. Oh, that's one to watch for sure. Yeah, I, yeah, all right. It's 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 on the list. It's on the list. Um, uh, in other news, uh, you know, I usually like this guy's projects. Um, I, I mean, I still do. Uh, but uh, Josh Whedon's been getting a lot of flack, man. He is getting a whole lot of flack because of stuff off the set of Buffy, the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. Uh, he's even getting some flack off of uh, people. None of the main cast from Avengers, but from some of the people that worked on set and everything, he's gotten a little bit of Justice flack from League. there. Yeah, I, you mean Justice League, right? Uh, no, Justice League, there's a he... lot, but the first right. Avengers movie. Because he also did Avengers oh. and uh, Age of Ultron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, Who said something from Avengers? I didn't hear about that. None of the main cast. It's some of the people that were like on production staff. 
that were saying okay. that he was kind of, you know, being a dick on set at times and everything like that. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, Christina Carpenter, who um, I, I guess played kind of like an antagonist on Buffy. Um, she was the mean cheerleader. I remember that when I watched the first season. Um, apparently, like he like kind of like emotionally, like you know, um, emotionally harassed her and stuff like that. And I think the most ironic thing about all of this is that Josh Whedon, if you know anything about Josh Whedon, he does write great female characters. Um, and the iron, the irony about all this though is that even though you you write great female characters, you know, from what we're hearing, you're not always treating your um your your female actors in the best way. Yeah, because who was it that uh, I can't remember if it was from Buffy or somewhere else, but somebody uh, when they got pregnant, like he asked, "Are you going to keep it?" Because this is really going Christina to Christina Carpenter. Was that Christina Carpenter? Yeah, because this yeah, is really going to this... clash with uh, your film career and everything like that. You know, right? Yeah, and it's like, how can you say that as a person? Like, if that is true. And that is like directly quote of like what he said or not like something that he alluded to, you know, but if he said it directly like that, my God, is he a terrible human being? Because how could you even fathom of saying something like that to somebody? Dude, I feel like and, and I'm 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 not I'm not in it. Um, I mean, I do aspire to be like a like a showrunner, a, a screenwriter. Um, but I feel like in Hollywood, I feel like some things like. I, I, I don't want to get too deep on this, but I feel like there was an era of Hollywood where stuff like that, like saying stuff like that, um, as rude as it is, it was kind of brushed under the table. Yeah. Whereas if it was said today, you know, and rightfully so, someone would be called out on it or even canceled. Well, that's why um, it's even coming like, to light with Joss now is because he did something recently with the whole Justice League movie. And right. now all these other stories are starting to come out about him because his name is the headline. This is where people are actually listening now. Before people wouldn't have listened. Right. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, man, like it's it's gone to the point where um hey, do you know Mike Judge? Oh Nate yeah. Idiocracy and King of the Hill and all that, Beavis and Butthead. Uh Dude, Office Space. <laughs> office space yeah he's a great writer um it comes to the point where um i was looking at an article it's this 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 page i follow the av club and i saw his face and before i read the blurb i said no 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 allegations please no allegations please no allegations <laughs> and there was there weren't no allegations it mm -hmm. was just saying oh um um new show of mike judge at, at, or new show that he had at hbo got canceled or something like that and, and um they they were moving in another direction and I was like, oh, oh what God, do you know? No HBO canceled another good show. Who would have guessed? Well, it hadn't it hadn't aired yet. It was in development, but they were like, hey, we're never going to pass on it. But uh, oh, so the, they the saw thing, that was already going to be a good show, so they just canceled it. Got ahead of the game. Right, right, <laughs> the, right. But the main point was like, I was like, man, I, no allegations on him, please. Yeah. That, that's yeah. one thing is uh, I love that celebrities uh, will go. My name's trending. I'm kind of scared. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like even with Army Army Hammer, I was I was surprised about that. You know, mm -hmm. with the uh, all the stuff that was coming out about him, because I was like, I was like cannibalism, him. Um, and you know, of course he came and he came out in front of it and said, "Oh, these are absolutely not true." You know, a few moments, 
few months, uh, a few moments later, you know, you got agencies dropping him and stuff. And I'm like, oh, and then more people are coming out. I was like, oh, you know, um, yeah, this is kind of it's kind of sick, man. I think Hollywood's a little sick. Yeah. And then you have, uh, you know, some people that you go, how isn't there like some kind of allegation again? Like people like uh, Seth yep. MacFarlane that like he is one of those people that writes the raunchiest stuff and will go like super far into a joke. And then but apparently he's a nice guy in, in person. He's like one of the best people to work with. People are like, and yeah. you're just like, how is this? Like, what is this reality? Like, he's the person that I would expect to have like allegations of like sexual harassment left and right based on just his writing and his humor just and, because people would take his humor like out of context. But no, he's apparently one of the best people to work with in Hollywood. Right. Then on the flip side, you got a Marilyn Manson. Who who makes all these you know very controversial explicit songs and then nowadays has been revealed to actually live that life yeah you know Evan Ranch Evan uh Rachel Wood called him out and you know now he just got dropped by everybody yeah so it, it it's weird the kind of people that like there's certain people that if they popped in the news of like for doing stuff I'd be like yeah that sounds about right and then you have other ones where it's like hold on wait what <laughs> Like, Joss Whedon, I would have never guessed that this stuff was true prior to... Yeah, that shocked me. He know. seemed like, um, yeah, he seemed like one of those people in Hollywood that's, that, you know, he seems like a nice guy. Yeah. Uh, it shocked me that that came out about him. I mean, I'm glad that it came out about him because it kind of gives a yeah. little bit bigger picture on him. But, yeah, because I remember he was uh, stopped from doing the Supergirl movie. Originally, he was going to direct and write a Supergirl movie for DC, Back when, uh, before like Justice League and everything like that, that's how they actually called him into Justice League because he originally was right on to pen that. And he got uh, that whole project ended up getting canceled, uh, mysteriously with like no context, it just kind of disappeared from DC's calendar, yeah. Um, even with um, you know, and he also had a new HBO series that was supposed to come out that got um, the showrunner, uh, he was replaced as showrunner. Um, but even Brian Singer, dude, he's made some of my favorite X-Men films and, you know, he came out to, he was exposed to be a creep. Oh yeah. Oh, he's you know? a major creep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's a shame. It is a shame. It is a shame. And it's a shame when people in power abuse that power and, um, they, they, they leverage the love that um the tastemakers being the audience being the producers have for them and um abuse it to um you know um abuse others yeah and then you have like people that go you know now you can't enjoy any of this person's like previous work and stuff like that and it's like no i don't yeah, i don't can. agree with you that can. yeah like <laughs> here's my thing um you know i feel like if you already bought it you already have the dvd or blu-ray yeah you can you can you know it's just you can like the art but not like the artist Mm -hmm. um i feel like people wrestle with that a lot with like directors like woody allen and um roman polanski who are great directors but you know not so good people um you know basically from what you heard um yeah you can if you own the product yeah you can 
Yeah, I know it's a touchy subject with a lot of people, but yeah, it, I still will watch Baby Driver, even though it has Kevin Spacey in it, you know, and I of still course. absolutely love that movie, and I think he did great in that movie still. Terrible person, I, I you know, I understand that I, he's probably never going to get work ever again, but at the same time, I can appreciate his prior work. Dude, one of my favorite uh, Kevin Spacey movies is The Big Kahuna, and uh, um. You know, everyone's great in that. Him, De- Danny DeVito, Peter uh, Facinelli, I think his name was, but he 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 makes that movie. Um, uh, there's another movie, uh, something with schmucks, uh, swimming with sharks or something like that. He makes that movie, and I, you know, those are great movies. Oh yeah, of course you, of course you can still enjoy them. So, but uh, I think that wraps up this episode. Definitely, definitely. Um, thanks for uh, rocking with us, folks. Uh, if you are subscribed to us, you know, hit the subscribe button, give your feedback, tell us what you think. Uh, this has been another episode of Double Feature Versus.